Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is Stephanie with Women Who Secure. And today's guest is Alexis. Alexis is currently a incident response consultant, and she is with Cisco Talos Intelligence Group. Alexis, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty well. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited uh, to join you for all this like conversation and questions and all that good stuff. I am so excited to have you here. Your background, your current position is super interesting. What are you doing right now? What's your current position with Cisco Talos? And for those that don't understand the Talos Intelligence Group, I think it'll be great to kind of break that down as well. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm a part of the Cisco Talos incident response team. So we're a customer facing incident response department. So what that kind of means is that I can be tasked with doing either in, um, reactive incidents where, of course, I'm coming in as a digital forensics and incident examiner. So going through all your different artifacts, building out those timelines, as well as recommendation side. Now, outside of that, some of the other stuff that I kind of do to, from my day-to-day, -to -day too, is also proactive work is what we like to call it. Uh, most of the time in the industry, people will know it as incident readiness work. So things like tabletop exercises, um, incident response plan build-outs, incident response playbook build-outs, compromise assessments, threat hunting, uh, and things of that nature is what we do during that, those times. So <clears throat> walking back from there, though, of course, is Cisco Talos Incident Response. Since sits in this bigger bubble called Cisco Talos Intelligence Group, um, we have a blog, talosintelligence.com, if you know who they are, but we're kind of just a, the biggest um, group of threat researchers that aren't tied to a government function out there right now working to on different threats um, and as well as tracking different APT groups and all this other cool stuff. So very working closely with those threat researchers and kind of what they do day to day. Enriching out Cisco like security products with of course the underpinning of Talos intelligence. So of course that again is threat intelligence, cybersecurity intelligence, whatever you may call it. Uh, but just another one of the big vendors in the field that are out there kind of seeing like what's happening in the day-to-day -day, as well as that front line and like bleeding edge of what's going on as far as incidents that could happen across enterprises. That is super exciting, but also sounds very stressful because you're on the front line of speaking to customers that are undergoing an active attack, right? Yes. Uh, so that is me. Every Four to six weeks, I go on call for uh, about one week, a week. And, uh, of course, you just don't leave your customers hanging, so that usually expands out to like two weeks-ish. Uh, but yeah, we definitely drop in with our customers, probably during one of the most stressful times of their careers. Uh, but again, I think some of the solace in that is that when they do call us, we, we've been through it before. Uh, we work a lot of ransomware cases, a lot of business email compromise cases. And so we're kind of there to give out that expertise on what to expect from remediative steps as well as kind of going through what to expect from the investigation. We are actually on the same job perspective and description. My current role is literally the same. I speak to customers and I'm on call every now and then for on around the globe of a 24-7 team at SOFOs called Rapid Response. So that's that's really exciting that we're very alike in our job. <laughs> so I understand. I understand what you're saying where it could be frustrating, but we're helping them at the same time and customers that are maybe undergoing an attack and, and learning about new ransomware variants, I think is super exciting. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a fun time. 
some of my favorite things is when we get to like pull out different logs or triage collections that we're pulling from different um, hosts and get to take that offline to do our side of analysis. I really enjoy that piece of it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That is exciting. So yeah. how did you get started in this? Because I did look at your background and I noticed you were prior with Ernst and Young. Yeah, Ernst and Young EY. Yeah, and I, I was like, huh, how did she get to where you are? I, I know you, I, for our listeners that don't know your background, can we just maybe start where, what made you choose your major in school? You know, what kind of pivoted you to this to this current road? Yeah, of course. It is a heck of a pivot, pivot. So once upon a time, I'm talking ripe age, I'm seven years old. Um, I really, really wanted to be an aerospace engineer. So I spent my whole life going towards this target. Uh, I got into the Georgia Institute of Technology. I actually got an associate's in engineering while still in high school. Uh, Cause I was 100% going to be like, I want to be an aerospace engineer. Got there, started doing the curriculum under the aerospace engineering umbrella at Georgia Tech. Um, and I was just like, oh no. I was like, this, this is not gonna work out for me. Uh, a lot of this is going over my head. Uh, keep in mind too, I worked full-time when I was going to school. So aerospace and a lot of engineering disciplines need a lot of study time, really, that where you just deep dive and study to focus on your exams and the curriculum. I just didn't have that time compared to some people. Um, so fast forward to my third year of college, I was going through a career crisis because I was like, I'm going to switch my major. Uh, I'm going to do this thing that my school likes to coin and call the M train, which is where you jump on the management train or you go to the business school. Uh, so I moved over into the business school and pursued information technology management. So most schools will call that their managerial information systems degrees. Uh, we have, we just call it the bachelor's of science and BA and then like the concentrations, information, technology management, it's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that, <laughs> and that summer, uh, I went and visited a good friend out in Texas. Her name is Holly, uh, Holly Parrish. She works at Arctic Wolf Networks now, but at that time she was working at UI and doing threat intelligence and things kind of started to fall in place. So I guess to kind of like talk through it is she was telling me about cybersecurity during that summer. And I was like, that sounds kind of cool. And prior to that, the semester right before I took um, a legal class, because we had to take a legal class in that curriculum, no matter what. And the professor, his name's Peter Swire. He's actually one of the professors or the lawyers that really helped write out HIPAA. Um, I was like, I really like this privacy stuff, but it doesn't necessarily always feel so applicable to me. Like the privacy field and the applicability of it wasn't quite there yet. And then I learned about cybersecurity. I was like, I really like that side of it. Um, it's like just essentially making sense of what lawmakers are pushing down on us uh, and as well as like protecting people. So kind of all these things were happening around the same time. Again, I'm, I'm still like under a career crisis, right? Like a seven-year-old fast forward to being what? 21 so a 14-year dream down the drain um and my friend was like well you know well we're going to come recruit on campus uh and of course like you should come out to the career fair and like you know see how you'll do or if you'll get in so fast forward I, I did great I got an internship um at EY as a cyber threat management intern so I was working specifically with their managed security service 
uh, NSSP, MSP, MDR, whatever we want to call it, this day of the week, those names are <laughs> right? a lot of changes. It's always changing. <laughs> whatever, whatever word soup you want. Uh, but anyways, where you pay a company to, you know, sit your sock. Um, so I did that for my internship. And then I was like, all right, I want to come back full time and keep doing this, like this cybersecurity stuff. Um, and so I did go back full time. I was there for uh, just over two more years when I came back full time, mostly doing things in like security operation build out work. So like security reorganization or just building out security operations from scratch for companies. And I was sort of like, okay, this is fun. Um, it feels very high in the high in the sky strategy style work when you're kind of like owning the operation and building it out. And I was like, I really like this concept of incident response. Like, I really like that you kind of have this like fast paced problem solving environment where you really get to make a difference uh, on the ground with people on a day to day basis. So I was like, all right, I'm ready for a career movement. I think a lot of people probably were during the pandemic. It's like no, no different than anyone else, right? Like, oh, I left in February of 2021. Very unoriginal. Um, but I applied to a bunch of places, but with Cisco Tallow's incident response, I applied and I went through their interview process. Uh, we actually have a practical as a part of the interview process, which I really respect because a lot of companies will just give you a form with like Q&A on it that you just, yeah, you're shaking your head, yeah, but you so it's yeah. just like, this isn't actually teaching me anything. Or they'll like be like, call out all these ports. Tell me what every port under the sun does. And it's like, no. <laughs> so It's like all that is that, memory, <laughs> driven by memory. <laughs> like all these ports. I'm like, um, I have Google. I can, yeah. I can go look up. <laughs> right. Like, you know well, hold Google? on. Let me Google it real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just kind of worked out and I got to move into this, like, again, I kind of explained it at the beginning, but at Cisco Talos um, Incident Response, we do, the way that we do our departments a little bit more unique than some of our competitors, because I get to both work reactive cases as a forensic examiner, as well as do proactive incident readiness work. So it's a chance to really do both sides of the full spectrum of incident response. Um, where you not only do you sit there and think in the moment all the time and how I'm going to help them get back on their feet and just get stable in this moment during an incident, but also big strategy stuff still, right? Like helping them with plans and playbooks or talking through how to like re-architecture some of their logs that they're currently adjusting into their systems and things like that. So it's just a, it's a really cool role. I enjoy it. You learn a lot. Yeah, you have a really unique story but also a very creative and very informative role the background with you doing the the degree and learning a lot about legal side and the policies i think come hand in hand with incident response especially in the road of going towards insurance and policies but i want to backtrack you said you were seven looking at aerospace engineering that is not typically what a seven-year-old girl would say. So I, I want to kind of backtrack to, you know, when you're in that thought process and maybe this will take you back to like your childhood, but what made you think of that? There has um, to be a reason. 
Yeah, seven. I think it's seven. All right, this is going to be where I'm doing bad math. Uh, second, yeah, second grade. First or second grade, I forget when. But my class that I was in had a aerospace engineer come in from NASA. Or um, It was either an aerospace engineer or it was an astronaut. I forget who it was, but they came to like our class or came to the school. Um, and all I did is I came home and I told my mom it was an astronaut because I was like, I went, hey, I, I met an astronaut today. And she's like, oh, boy, like my daughter is going to be like like most ki- most normal kids. Right. If I was like, I want to be a firefighter or like an artist or something would be like, I want to be the astronaut. And I looked at her and said, I don't want to be on the ship. I want to build the ship. Um, so, of course, we looked at what the word was and that was an aeronautical or aerospace engineer. And so for the longest time, I was like, I want to do this thing. <laughs> well, that is so cute. I love that. I, I think when I was little, I was like, I just want to be a doctor and save lives. <laughs> I think it's very I important mean- for, for you, like as an adolescent and even today's children have the exposure to that because I've. I don't even mm-hmm. think I've met anyone in astro an astro you know in that in that realm but I I did do a paper on Sally Ride which was the first woman to go to space Was she the first woman to go to space? <laughs> I, don't, I don't keep up with it as much as I used to. She might have been. I don't actually know. Anyway, I did a little cute thing of Sally Ride. We got to choose who it was. She I don't know if she went to space for as the first woman or or whatever, but she was very important. So I I made this like aluminum model of her, and she that's the only background I know. And I I've always kind of been interested in STEM, but that's so funny that that you were so young and and you guys looked it up. And I I was like maybe her parents did it, but you just like said it yeah. like naturally. <laughs> No, I was just a wild and little kid. Um, my mom was a teaching assistant for most of my like adolescent years. So I education love that. was definitely important. Uh, but no, no astronauts or engineers. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I, that that would have been great to get into, but you're good where you're at now. I know, I know, you just kind of, uh, you know, put in a lot of information when you really describe your current role. When you speak about what you chose in college and was this a decision that was hard to make when you were choosing your major in your school? I know you were set on aerospace engineering, but was it, are you from Georgia? uh, So not from Georgia. I'm actually originally from California, um, but we moved to Georgia when I was like, Or, or, I don't know. When you were younger? Yeah, that's like, yeah, I don't even remember. Uh, a long time ago. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, Georgia Tech was pretty much like the only school I wanted to go to. Uh, I actually went to a panel um, on Georgia Tech, Caltech, and MIT. And I have this thing, so typically depending on like if a company or an organization or something comes off as like a little too, I'm the best at what I do already. So therefore I don't need to innovate. I don't, I don't want to be in that room. Uh, I don't, I'm like, I know I'm cool with like, that's not, that's not for me. Um, so that's what I really liked about Georgia Tech is they have like such, they started off as a trade school and they still have a lot of that trade school energy. And they still did when I went there where it's kind of like, 
they're just very like we do good work and we'll get recognized for it which isn't how the real world works right most people get recognized by making sure to boost their own horn and doing marketing and like marketing is such an important part of business right sales and stuff um but I just really appreciated the culture that was there so that kind of goes into like oh Georgia Tech so I did only apply to one school I don't recommend doing that um again <laughs> I got some loose cannon life decisions, right? We're here now, though. That's what matters. Um, (laughs) For the background there, I mentioned a little small, but um, I got an associate's, and in Georgia, there is a transfer program. So it wasn't really ever under distress that I wasn't going to get into Georgia Tech at that time uh, because I could just transfer all my credits and successfully get in as a transfer student. So it didn't really matter. But if anyone is like impressionable, do not put all your eggs in one basket and only apply to one college. Apply to multiple colleges, just like a normal human. That's also another weird story where people are just like, you are odd. <laughs> but you um, but you look back and you're like, you put all your eggs in one basket and you got it. <laughs> Imagine if it well, yeah. didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I'm out here saying don't do that. Because like, if you look at the, right. like if I did, when I did the lessons learned, right? When I did the post-incident summary, the lessons learned I was like oh no um but to your point there yeah leaving leaving that degree and kind of moving on into the business program was really difficult for me um I had to like talk to a bunch of people uh especially because like again there's sort of a stigma around leaving engineering uh at my school because it's such a big engineering stem college and that's really important like it it's the computer scientists look down on everyone and then the engineers look down on everyone else. It's like this whole thing there. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting because my official title, if you like, we have our forward facing rules, but my official title is actually um, consulting engineer or something like that. So at the end of the day, I guess I did become an engineer. It's <laughs> in a roundabout way. I think the ro- the position titles don't even matter anymore. Like mine change every signature, every customer I talk to. I'm like, let me just change it up. Spoken like a true sales engineer, whatever you, whatever you need to be. Right, right. We're just an engineer consultant. You're a therapist. I always I always say that I play like a therapist because I speak to all these different customers, and yeah. you have to calm them down. You're you have to be very empathetic. I um I was actually on a panel for University of Maryland a couple of weeks ago, and this gentleman uh, on the panel who I've never met before literally did a five minute spiel about how cybersecurity only exists because of psychology and like because humans decided we cared about it. And I just love that because I'm always talking about like the human piece of my job. I I really adore that component. I was like, oh, he's adding so many words. I'm gonna write these down. Like like it's the meme where it's like that's mine now. <laughs> Wow, I want to hear it. That is I that is very interesting. Was it recorded? Uh, no, it was just like an hour-long panel we did one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he, That's like, cool. You can tell he talks about this all the time. I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I, I think people forget that cybersecurity wasn't common back then and that now because of the minds of industries and decision-makers at companies are finally implementing it um Mm -hmm. from your from your experience and this might shift our conversation a little but I think that this would be appropriate um 
because maybe some of our listeners are in the field or new to it, but uh, just give as much as information if you can. What, what are your most common mistakes or things that you're seeing where people do get ransomware or get breached? So there's some like, uh, we're kind of going back, it kind of goes back to like ensuring as a customer to do, to essentially eat your vegetables, right? So, you know, like when you're growing up and they're your parents or whatever, some the adult in your life is like, make sure you eat your vegetables too. Like right. don't sit there and eat your dessert or go after the shiny products or like something like that. That framework can be applied to cybersecurity. Um, so usually when we start tracing back ransomware, incidents will run into like actual uh, valid accounts so actual credentials used right like maybe they were able to dump um some sort of like password database or something or they bought credentials on the dark web and then they were able to authenticate into that customer's environment something to kind of keep in mind there is usually the account that was first initial vector of compromise was not protected by multi-factor authentication so all you needed was a username and a password uh, and then you at least got into the door. And then so from there, they can continue to kind of go on their path to essentially peer around and look to see how high they can get. So that's something to think about there. Uh, it's just kind of going back to the basics, right? So like ensuring that you're deploying multi-factor authentication across your enterprise. And I don't like giving out an excuse or being like, that's just too much for us. We can't, we can't like put out multi-factor authentication. It's like, no, you need to, because if you screech your business to a halt, you're going to start losing like thousands, millions, tens of millions of dollars while you're down. So it's kind of like, this is what's hanging in the balance there. Um, another big conversation that we've kind of been having is network segmentation. Um, and this kind of goes back to something that we usually notice. So if uh, to the audience, you may not be familiar with this part, but Ransomware, one of the things that we usually see happen before detonation is encryption or destruction of the backups. Um, and then so you're probably like, oh, the backups, like I learned about this in class or something, like those should be, you know, a worm, right? Once read only. Um, and then they should be like hiding and you can't modify it. They should be off like in, in a, like a room somewhere. No. Uh, so something that we've kind of noticed with a lot of customers is their backups aren't necessarily actually provisioned away from their production environment or their test environment, or they're just not like put somewhere separately, or they're not leveraging a backup um, service or some sort of company that's outsourcing it for them. And then the other component of that is they're not going back and testing their backups. So someone 10 years ago probably wrote this amazing backup process uh, they did backups of all the different images that they needed to do for like the servers and the workstations and the whatever. And then they like locked it into a tape room or something, who knows. Um, and then that person left three or four years later and then no one's revisited the backup process or dusted it off the shelf. And so what they'll find out is it doesn't work anymore or the adversary is able to essentially connect in and, and delete them. Uh, so that's always a really difficult conversation to have with a customer is when they, they look at you and they're like, oh, I have backups. Yeah, and then they go and they come back and they go, uh, so we did, we did have backups up until, you know, three days ago when the, when the onset of, because one of the last steps that we'll do before they detonate the ransomware usually, um, it's like, oh, that sucks. And then we kind of have that conversation too. So again, it's really about eating your vegetables. I know it doesn't seem flashy. Um, and then the third pillar, which I actually think is pretty cool, and I, I have not spent that much time in this space, but the identity and access management space, like, 
if you really enjoy like paying attention to people and kind of how they move through an environment, like definitely look into careers over there. Cause that, that is, it is a hot commodity of a career right now. Cause you need to be able to map out the identity of a endpoint user and how it kind of maneuvers across your ecosystem. Cause I mean, on my computer, like on these workstations, you can start building out accounts for other uh, third-party software and stuff. And typically you can download kind of whatever you want because uh, most of the time the customer doesn't really have that great or your workplace doesn't have that great of a catch because we allow uh, more than we block. Yeah, I think our users are our biggest vulnerability. And, and just like you said, it goes back to the basic security. Do you work with all types of customers when we're speaking about maybe size or what industry they're in and where they're at? Yeah. Yeah, so global, um, I've had customers across the globe, which is always really cool. I worked a case uh, a while ago now where we were 12 hours apart, so <laughs> uh, 12 or 13, I forget, but like enough apart where it was like we were like tagging at each other as the day was going on. Um, we also have, the way we're staffed during incidents is that we have people in other parts of the, uh, the world uh, to kind of help out with that follow the sun method and kind of how we work. So we, of course, have that for our team, but it's always interesting to like wave hello at a customer that's really out uh, far away. But as far as industry verticals and sizes, yeah, I've worked with some like very small, like maybe a hundred like users um, up to like multinational conglomerates, like gigantic companies. So the whole spectrum has been swept. And that of course includes too, like state government, things like that. Uh, and then as well as your private companies that you typically think of, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, when you work with these customers, is it required for your position or an incident response position anywhere to have specific certifications or, or anything? Uh, so sometimes there are specific projects where we may need someone who has a clearance or has um, certain certifications as outlined by that company. But as far as that's not like the, that's not like the um, skinny of it. That's not necessarily the thing that you always have to have, or it's not like the, like the U S government, for example, right? Like if you go and kind of look at those jobs, they have very strict, you must take the security plus in order to advance on your, levels and stuff we don't we don't have things like that uh there's of course certifications and stuff that are super helpful out there but they're not like a forced upon you thing and do you have any certifications or would you recommend that somebody you know that is looking for maybe the specific role like incident response threat hunting look into specifically what certifications uh yes so um i have two certs from sans so I have GCIA, which is intrusion analyst, and GCIH, which is instant handler. Uh, so those are the two certs that I hold. I also have CH, uh, which I don't really necessarily recommend that one specifically. But with SANS, uh, for people that are kind of tuning in and are already professionals or in, like, have a professional uh, employer or something of that sort, definitely see if they'll pay for you to take SANS. I don't like to recommend SANS on people's own. It's a very expensive training, uh, but it is, like, worth it if you get the chance to take it, which is kind of the double-edged sword, right? Because I think it's, like, $8,000 for the training now, like $1,000 for the certification. Um, and so that's a big chunk of change if you're asking an individual. But of course, if you're tied to a company and you can convince them to take it, like these are worthwhile trainings. The books are absolutely fabulous. Um, I actually, I took SANS 4, by the way. So that's like 
what is it called? Advanced Incident Response Threat Hunting and Digital Forensics. Um, so that's for the GCFA certification. I'll be sitting for that next month. Oh, yay. How yeah, so you, lean over. Yeah, it's okay. You gave a really good advice of, you know, looking at possibly having a company pay for it. Have these been paid for and compensated by the companies that you've been with? Yeah, so I got uh, GCA and GCH back with EY. Uh, they paid for both of those trainings. And then GCFA, uh, Cisco has paid for it, which is really great. I, it's something I, I 100%, like that is a conversation stopper. Like say if someone were to call me to ask me about a job, is like one of the first two questions out of my mouth is, do you have budget for your continued education and your um, employees? They say no, I'm like, I can't talk to you. It's such a, it's such like an important piece of um compensation and such an important piece of my journey that I really treasure. Yeah, exactly. How do you bring it up with the companies that you're with about, uh, you know, ongoing education and certifications and, and specifically, how do you choose which one you want to do? Because there's so many out there. Yeah, um, so for both of these employers, we're pretty straightforward. Um, since I was at two con different consulting shops, they both have these like if you do enough SANS courses, they'll give you some sort of discount. I don't know what it is, but like, it's like, you know, it's like B2B business to business discount or something. Um, and so with that, my mentor slash manager um, was just like, Hey, like we want to, we have SANS uh, training vouchers. Do you want to take it? And I was like, yes. And then of course, before I was employed, I asked explicitly about how they do continued education and looked for it and the policies when they sit over information um, on what they do for employees. So that's kind of how you broach that conversation. And then the second part of your question, which is like how to choose what you want to do, uh, specific to SANS, they actually have a pretty useful, like, it's kind of like a mind map. It's like a choose your own adventure on their website. Uh, the kind of says like, I forget what the URL exactly is, but like you can kind of just click through it and it gives you like a decision tree on where you should be going based on your interests. So I find that super helpful. It goes yeah, it's like their SANS yeah. roadmap. Yeah. 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 So I find that really helpful. And then of course you can always take it to the internet uh, and kind of look to see what other people have done. I love that. SANS is very difficult. I actually tested and took the GCIH and I failed by like three points. So I am not a good test taker, but I do want to move forward with trying to gain more of their certifications. The training and everything was amazing. I got the opportunity to sit in and virtually help assist and teach the class, which also gave me a huge discount that Sophos eventually helped me pay for. Um, but I definitely agree with you that you have to look at what you want. But honestly, I got a really good advice about certification. And, and it was, mm -hmm. some of these are just open the, the, uh, what is it? Uh, not open, but some of the certifications have a lot of knowledge base out there or practice exams and you can buy them or you can look at them. And, and I think this was a good advice to somebody that may be looking for it is talk to people that have taken the certification, talk to people that have done it, look at the practice exams, kind of get a feel of what the course would entail. But I think that, and you're familiar with SANS is that they are very detailed and and everything, mm -hmm. the training, amazing professors and that, and props to you that those are really good certifications. And I love yeah. that you're always negotiating that wherever you go. And I think that's very important. 
Oh yeah, no, definitely no worries on their their hard exams. I they're open note, but like Christ, the books are like filled to the brim. The the uh, GCFA right now, and I'm going through these books. I'm like, they introduced a new tool. I swear, every other page. <laughs> yeah, I I cleaned my closet the other day, and I have this big bin of my Security Plus material, the GCIH material. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do I do with it? Am I going to look at this again? Am I going to try and retake it? But honestly, I was so close to passing that I I might just do it. Yeah, again, like definitely give it another shot. I, I think the most important part is to your point though, is the actual cost and having those books. I I mean, like I wouldn't say like it'd be behoove for me to not to say I am, I'm definitely shaken about this. Uh, cert. I have to sit for it a couple of weeks because I keep looking up uh like people and like you know essentially like if people ask questions be like hey how did you feel about this exam of course never saying like uh test bank questions or anything like that that would go against sans policy but people are just like yeah it's the hardest one i've taken and they like hold like the grem which is like the reverse engineering one and i'm like what do you mean the gcfa is the hardest one you take it i was like you'll have me sweating out here <laughs> don't say things like that I get anxiety for any test. So it's, it's, yeah. I don't, I, I'm like, I don't even want to talk to anyone about it. I know it's going to be hard. <laughs> I just can't. Yeah, It'll give me yeah, more anxiety. <laughs> I know. And you're kind of like, you're like, it's, it's open note. Like, how hard? And then, like, you take it, like, dang, they had like page 300 and whatever on like section 2.0. I was like, geez. But yeah, one day, one day. What's your opinion on, people getting certifications or having the degree to initially join cybersecurity in general. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'm pro education. Um, so any form of education that you can like find yourself in, whether you're fortunate enough to pursue a two year, four year, uh, or like a, like you, you did something. I, I have this person uh, in my women in cybersecurity cohort mentor, mentor, mentee group this year. She actually was a music undergrad and then she went to pursue cybersecurity as her master. So however, which way people are doing it, um, I'm cool with those where like, I know like I like structure. I'm the same way of working out too. I love structure and the, like this type of stuff. So I really like the chance to do things either through classes um, or degrees. And then of course, on the flip side, you know, people who can self-study and like get their way into the door by like doing back to back capture the flags or like actually going through because there's so much open source stuff now so like like the dfir diva and stuff like that like there's so many things to take advantage of they will literally build you out framework so those also count as curriculum and like going through something to be too so i'm i'm pro all of it whatever helps someone get through their door yeah, pro education here. I love that. <laughs> we kind of discussed your day to day. Do you want to kind of walk us through what your day to day would entail for somebody that's very new to security? How would you explain your day to day and your role? So the day to day changes. It's the classic. It depends because uh, it's been a consultant, so I work with across a ton of customers and what's the different needs that they want. Um, and what time do you typically of- start, like hours wise? Um, so during a normal week, I'll usually start around 8 a.m. Eastern, so 8 a.m. my local time, um, and then I'll usually go until like 5 p.m. Uh, on a normal week. This is not this is not the week where I'm working cases. Uh, when you work cases, time goes out the door. It's like you're you're up from like 8 to midnight, but that's such another thing. Um, so 
I actually start my day by going rock climbing. It's one of the hobbies that I have. I do that Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, so I go and rock climb on those mornings and then kind of get into the groove of working. Of course, the classic like triaging your email and looking through to see if anyone's like pinged you or like across your DMs or anything else. Uh, and then I like to prioritize my day. So I usually will time block my day. I'll look to see when I have meetings either with customers or eternal stakeholders or whatever it is I'm up to. Um, and then I'll time block on the tasks that I need to get done. So say I need to dedicate two hours because I need to really focus and build out a procedure uh, for an incident response playbook. Like I'll sit down and do that for two hours. Uh, and then maybe I'll move over to doing something like writing a blog uh, to be put onto like Talos Intelligence or something. So I'll dedicate two hours out to that. Uh, but that's kind of just works best for me, I guess. If you're, you're like, oh, what do you do day to day? It's just like, think of, think of like when you had to do projects in school um, and you are doing multiple group projects for the rest of your life at the same time. That's what it feels like. That is a perfect example and scenario of how to put our day-to-day. I love that. <laughs> I always feel like I'm just in a rotational project of different projects with other people around the world. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Um, and then like, I, oh, and something that's a non-negotiable is usually I go on a walk. So like a 30 minute walk in the middle of the day. Um, it's something that I like to do. I like to break up the day. Some people like to actually go out for lunch or they like to do their exercise in the middle of the day or read for 30 minutes or whatever, scroll TikTok, like whatever it is you want to do with your personal time. Um, but I like to go on a 30 minute walk in like some time in the middle of the day. Yeah, that's, that's very essential. And I think that people forget to take a step away and the ability to do that Mm -hmm. should be very important when you're looking at a role. And, and I assume you're working from home. Yes, I am a full-time remote worker. Uh, My team was actually remote before the pandemic. Fun fact about my team. So I wasn't there yet, but (laughs) it's full-time remote. Yeah. I love that. I love that companies are kind of leaning more towards that. So, you know, For your day-to-day, I want to wrap it up also with, not wrap it up, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. We're not done yet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What are your thoughts on this field kind of being more woman-inclusive and ever since your previous role and maybe your current and even school, what kind of things have you seen as as a woman in this field? So... I would like to preface this with that I have been incredibly fortunate to be on not only teams that have other women, but some teams that have majority women. I realized over time that it's 100% not the norm. Um, I'm sure as you're very familiar with the women in cybersecurity workplace, it was what, 24% this year? So it's like to every, there's three men to every, or uh, three non-women to every one woman in the room um, for cybersecurity, which is like kind of crazy to think about. So with that being said, um, I've been really fortunate to have some like really great women mentors as well as male mentors and just like mentors of all walks of life and like sponsors and just like people who really just believe in my career. So it's always been really cool. Um, But it's, Definitely, I think, a more welcoming environment that I would say than the women I've spoken to who have been in cybersecurity for like 20 plus years. So I'm really thankful for all like the essentially trailblazing that these individuals did to kind of give us more opportunity today uh, for like the opportunities that we have. Um, Something that was kind of interesting was 
I had a coworker um, because the team I'm on now is much more reflective of the like statistics that I like the 25, uh, 24% to 76% uh, just because like it's digital forensics and incident response, like of the pillars to pick from cybersecurity, that is, there's not many women doing the technical components of those roles. <laughs> um, and so one of my responders, she was like, you know, you're like one of the first women I've gotten to work with, uh, like my whole career. And I was like, what? That is I was insane. Like, yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, so she was really nice. She sent me a nice message about it. I was like, that's so cool. Like, I was like, well, I'm happy you've gotten to work yeah. with more women. Because um, we were kind of talking about uh, seeing yourself in leadership. And we were having a conversation around, she's like, hey, you know, it's important to have mentor sponsors what are, uh all those different names that you kind of catch when you're like listening to like self-help podcasts and like books and i'm discovering how to like put set up your career um and they're like you know you should have people in your corner that are from all walks of life and i was like yeah no tons of value in that but let's center on the fact that it's incredibly important especially as like a woman and then like a minority ethnicity as well like it is incredibly important that you see people that represent you like the same uh, functions um, as like kind of how you've grown up. So it's kind of goes back to how you were like, how did you know to be a aerospace engineer? Like what you would automatically assume is probably one of my parents, which it wasn't in this case, just random woman visiting, visiting the classroom that day. Um, but that kind of goes like representation matters and like getting the chance to like see yourself in a position does like incredible things for someone's like self-worth and as well as really helps them understand that they are capable of doing something. So power to the trailblazers out there too uh but super excited for all the people that will come behind them yeah i agree i think that representation obviously matters so much i guess for the future what should we kind of stay tuned for with you what do you have planned for yourself career-wise personal-wise yeah the, the million dollar question of like what comes next in your career uh i'm still figuring that out day to day i'm not quite sure uh, something that i've kind of been working on is uh working on like submissions for different conferences and just trying to get like accepted for those to continue to present i i really do enjoy presenting uh i've kind of spent time looking and like people that get to do that full time is their like only role which is like really cool if they get to do that uh but as far as like a concrete like i have a roadmap. Uh, definitely threw those out the window when I was out here breaking my seven-year-old heart, changing, <laughs> changing degrees. Um, so I mostly think more so in short-term goals. So it'll be like, I want to get one fan cert this year, or it'll be like, I want to present at a conference um, or some other element, but rather than like a five, 10, 15-year plan, because I really can't tell you right now what I want to do next. Um, it's kind of up in the, uh, the up in the air. I think at some point I definitely want to have the chance to lead other people in like a formal capacity, but it's the only leadership type opportunities that come my way are always like mentoring opportunities or working outside of my day to day. That's totally fine too. I love that. I think your short-term girls are are going to happen and you're manifesting them. I can't wait to see you at a woman in security conference or security conference in general. Something that I think is super important is to always be spaghetti and like, don't be afraid to throw things at a wall and see if you'll just stick to it. Um, I think that's something you probably noticed throughout the entirety of me talking is a lot of things are just kind of like walking through a dark room and shining a light and like, oh, that looks shiny. I'll go follow that for a while. 
Um, because I think that's like one of the most important things to always be, especially in the field of cybersecurity, cyber is curious and open-minded to like what might come next. Uh, just kind of giving it your all and also understanding that you're not going to know everything in this field. It's just not really possible to, because uh, if you didn't know everything, you're, you're probably an AI. You're probably like a, a computer. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're a deep fake. You're just a robot. And you, yeah. <laughs> Even then, I don't think there's enough uh, storage on any computer to host all information. So, um, so with that being said, it's just like I don't know, stay open to like the realm of possibility. It's it's a really cool field. I've enjoyed it so far, and I'm really excited to spend uh, multiple years to decades still in this career. Yeah, I love that. I I have found myself more in love with this field than I'll ever know. And I don't think I'm ever leaving it. And I, I think that we're very fortunate. We started very early on and we're seeing, you know, experiencing side by side with the trailblazers, just like you said. And and it's a, definitely a growing field. I'll mm-hmm. end it with that. But Alexis, thank you for being on the Woman Who's Secure podcast. I appreciate your time so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Thank you.